morning. Uh, good to be back from last week. Um, I think the word got out last week that I was going to preach because the ladies left town. Um, but they're back now, and uh, I hope that, uh, that God's going to speak to all of us. We're in the middle of a series, as Anne said, on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think our intention is not that this is a hugely theological debate uh, that leaves us with a lot of theoretical knowledge and no practical experience, but rather an encouragement for us as a, as a church and as a congregation to draw closer to God in the Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to be able to move powerfully in this congregation and through this congregation. And what I started with last week was just having a look because um, I think there are few areas of, of teaching in the church that are, are more contentious than teaching about the Holy Spirit. People's expectations and experience and theology varies dramatically in this particular area from people who, like I was as a young person, are terrified to even talk about the Holy Spirit and therefore put Him in a box to one side, uh, to people who seem to think that the experiential is the only thing and, and, and do some fairly weird things. Last week we spoke about uh, a young man in South Africa last week, he, he set the internet alight by deciding in the Kruger National Park that God wanted him to show that the Holy Spirit uh, gave him dominion over all animals, and so he jumped out of his car and ran at the pride of lions. This really happened. Um, we had a photo last week. Um, he, he retreated when he came to his senses, and the lions charged him, uh, and he did escape with some injuries. Um, but that was his experience the Holy Spirit was this, this sort of, it had to be spectacular and it had to be slightly weird. And then on the other side of the extreme are, are people who say, we don't know about this person and therefore we're afraid and we back off. And we would like to lead this congregation into a place of a balanced understanding of the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the Godhead as part of God, as, as one of the manifestations of God, and how that can make us more effective in serving God and make us have a wonderful experience of God in our lives, which is the way that He intended it to be. And so we looked last week at how the Holy Spirit is revealed in the Bible, because there's not a lot of direct teaching about who He is and exactly um, what His personality is. And, and last week, my, my main points were that God reveals the Holy Spirit to us through Jesus, because God doesn't have a split personality. Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit, and therefore if we understand the character and the personality and the nature of Christ as He revealed Himself on this earth, then the personality and the nature of the Holy Spirit is revealed through Jesus as well. But also, we had a look at the fact that God reveals the Holy Spirit to us in the Bible through what He does. I referred to the fact that when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, He used the wind as an example when He's talking about the Holy Spirit and said, we see what the wind does. We see it moving trees and doing things, and even though we can't see the wind, we can define it by what it achieves and what it does. We looked at the Beaufort scale, which is a way to rate how strong the wind is by the things that it moves and what it does. And if we look in the Old Testament, we can see the Holy Spirit revealed by what He achieves through people. And that ranged from prophesying and doing things like that to actual practical skills, people like Bazalel, who was one of the, the craftsmen who, who made the tabernacle, and how the Bible says that God said to, to, to Moses that he had filled Bazalel with the Holy Spirit so that he could do the job of building the tabernacle. Uh, and then we moved to the beginning of the New Testament, and we talked about the fact that whereas in the Old Testament God seemed to almost anoint people for a time and for a place and for a purpose, 
in the New Testament, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all the believers at Pentecost and how that changes them in their effectivity to fulfill the purpose that God has called them to. And that's where I want to pick up this morning because um, what I would like us to think about this morning is the fact that moving with the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit fill us up and baptize us and operate through us is something which should be a natural part of our Christian ministry. It should be something that we don't see as being exotic, and we'll talk a little bit later maybe why people see it as being exotic, but it should be something which is standard procedure for us to operate with and through and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to start by reading Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus is preparing his disciples for their ministry, and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what I find interesting is we are quite comfortable as Christians to accept the task that the Great Commission, as it's called, gives to us, that we are to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the whole world, we talk about the fact that we start in our local community and work out, and we are called to make disciples. We are called to represent God, to, to encourage people into the kingdom of God and to take them forward. But we often miss out the fact that the disciples were told they would do that in the power that they would receive from the Holy Spirit. It was not that some of you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, some of you will operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, at some times there will be special meetings where you will operate in the power. It was a, a simple case of you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, He will come upon you, and as a consequence you will effectively be my witnesses when you go out. Um, if you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, that thought has continued because it says this, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The first thing I want us to think about is this is something for you. Whatever your background, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is something for you. The calling of God on your life to be His witness is for everybody, and the equipping to do that through the Holy Spirit is for everybody. If I could give a moment of, 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 of personal testimony, I've shared on a number of occasions that my spiritual walk has changed from when I was a young man into, into my later life, because I grew up very conservative, very scared of things to do with the Holy Spirit, with all sorts of preconceived ideas. One of them was that people who felt the need to... to talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were people who needed a more emotional kind of experience. I was mature and calm and I just needed the Word of God. And therefore I could get by without this almost extraneous experience. And it was only by God filling me with the Holy Spirit and releasing me into ministry with that that I, that I began to realize how much I had missed out along the way. But one of the other things that I struggled with in terms of my basic understanding of receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, was I believed correctly, as I was taught, that when I had been born again, when I accepted Christ into my life, I had been born again by the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit had come to dwell in me. Now, that was true. Therefore, when someone came to me later and said that I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, I said, done that, I've been born again. There doesn't need to be a subsequent event, occurrence, infilling, whatever it might be. And I lived 
a great deal of my Christian life with that perception. I want to show you a couple of scriptures which helped me because you might be in that same position saying, well, yeah, I love God, I'm a believer, do I need more? In John chapter 20 and verse 22, and I know Ant's going to use this, I'm not going to expound it, Ant, I'm not going to steal your, your teaching. Um, have I put this down somewhere? Jesus appears to his disciples just after he's been crucified, and, it's, and, and he appears when he's been resurrected, and it says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. One of the first things he said to them when he rose from the dead was he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And they were inhabited by the Holy Spirit. They were believers born again by the Spirit of God with the Spirit of God indwelling them. And yet when I read in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, those same people, something additional happens. The power of God descends on them. They are baptized in, immersed in, and overflowing with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, hallelujah, He lives within you. You are alive to God through the Holy Spirit. But I want to say this to you. God wants to do more through you by the Holy Spirit. And you, I would encourage you to be available for that to be part of your life. And I want to, to maybe just look at, at a couple of scriptures which underline the fact that this was not considered something exotic to the early church. This was something considered to be every day to both the early church and to the early missionaries who went out and spread the gospel. It's because of the way that we as Christians speak and behave sometimes about the Holy Spirit, we have made this contentious. We have made this a point of debate. Because of some of the strange things we do, like the young man Eric and Dwani that I spoke about who charged the lions, because of things like that, and some people whose attitude towards moving in the Holy Spirit is one maybe of arrogance and of pride, it's become a contentious issue and it's been something that people think we should select and take a position on. But to the early church and to the early missionaries and the early disciples, this was just a way of life. It was not something that was selectively done. It was something that everybody believed was part of what was supposed to happen. Have a look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. Just to give you a quick background to this, when the church started in, in Jerusalem, it was just in Jerusalem. Uh, Pentecost came, Peter went out, preached a blinder of a sermon, 3,000 people got born again, came into the church, they had a maxi church going overnight, and it functioned in Jerusalem, and they were helping one another, and they were praying for one another, and the Lord was adding daily those who should be saved, there were a couple of other amazing sermons, and more people, eventually about 5,000 of them, and the church is thriving. And for a while there was peace, and then persecution breaks out. And amongst other, others, a young man called Saul, begins to persecute the church. And when the persecution breaks out, people begin to flee from Jerusalem. But wherever they go, they're kind of infectious with the gospel, and little churches begin to spring up, including in Samaria. And so word comes to the apostles one day that a group of people are now meeting in the name of Jesus and have accepted Jesus in Samaria. What do they do? Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 says this, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that were there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He was not considered to be something exotic for Peter and John. They arrived, they said, you love Jesus, you've been born again, you're in the family of God, great. Have you received the Holy Spirit's power? No, we haven't. Come here, guys, let's pray for you. It was not hyped. It was not we're having a special service. It was this is part of the life of the church. You've heard about Jesus. You've accepted him into your life. Are you, are you full of the Holy Spirit? What? We don't know about that. Come here, let us pray for you. Let's look at another couple of scriptures. Acts chapter 9 verse 17. The Apostle Paul himself. Just to continue, this young man, Saul of Tarsus, who's been persecuting the church, has an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, gets knocked off his horse, hears the voice of Jesus speaking to him, and acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. And if you read that story of uh, Saul's conversion, he then goes into Damascus, he can't see, he's fasting, he, he doesn't know what to do next, and he's waiting for something to happen, and God sends a very brave believer, one of the people that Paul was coming to actually come and persecute in Damascus, he sends him to him to go and pray for him, and it says... Then Ananias went to the house and entered to it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again, you need to have your eyesight, and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. God wants to release Paul into his ministry. He sends Ananias, and Ananias says, I've come to pray for you so you can receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, Paul, you've been converted. Now, there are various options of conversion here. You can take this particular option. This is the conservative Judaic version. This is the what version? And, and you can have the Pentecostal version if you like. Uh, at no extra charge, you can, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He just says to him, I've come to pray for you so you can receive the Holy Spirit. Go a little bit further on in Acts chapter 19, much further on in the story of the book of Acts. Um, as the gospel began to spread, some, some really powerful uh, missionaries go out, Paul and Silas and Barnabas, and they're preaching and they're spreading the word of God. And firsthand, they are sharing what they've experienced in Christ. And as they preach and people are baptized, they baptize them in the name of Jesus, and they pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But now a second group of missionaries arise, people who have heard from somebody who's heard from somebody about Jesus, and one of them is a guy called Apollos who has a great zeal for Jesus and begins to preach him, although his teaching is not complete himself. But with great enthusiasm, he becomes an evangelist. And people are accepting Christ because of Apollos. Let's just read. While Apollos, verse 1 of 19, was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived in Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Paul meets them and he says, have you had the fullness of what you can have in God? They say, no. He says, fine, come here, let's pray for you. The point I'm trying to make, and maybe I'm laboring it, is the fact that this is not something exotic in the life of the early church. Right. This is not something for a select few. There were no happy clappies in the early church. They were all happy clappies. 
there was not the chosen frozen and the happy clappies. Everybody, as a matter of course, expected to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they saw it for what it was. The ability and the power from God through the person of the Holy Spirit to do what God needed for them to do in the life of the church. And I need to stop here and repeat something I started saying. The contention that we have around these issues in the modern church has come because of the attitudes of Christians in the way that we speak about the Holy Spirit, in the way that we move in the power of the Holy Spirit, where pride and arrogance and competition have come into it. It's a reality that when people can do something that other people can't do, that little human thing says, hey, and we've got to guard against that. Because what happens is then people began to separate themselves and sadly, in some people's minds, the division comes in the church of those, do you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. Don't you? No, you don't. Oh, you know, I do. How many do you operate in? Three. Oh, I operate in six. <laughs> if you've prayed for healing, ha ha have the deaf heard? No, 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 I've just had headaches. Oh, yeah. I've had people come out of wheelchairs. And this sort of emphasis on the role that we play, which is just to be a channel, has brought this contention into the point where it's something that people argue about in the church, that people have, have strong feelings about, people don't want to go to certain services because things might be happening, and certain activities and services are blown up into being major events. If you met the Apostle Paul, you got the whole package. He would teach you he would, he would lead you to salvation. He would teach you the Word of God so that you could rightly divide the Word of God and use it. And you would be led into ministering in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you are more effective in serving God if you have God's power to do the things that God wants you to do. And that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives, empowering us to do what God wants us to do in God's way. It's not there for frills and bells and whistles and to, and to create division and to create ranks of Christianity. And that's happened in today's world, which is why it's one of those things. Oh, he's one of those weird Christians. Or, if you're one of those weird Christians, they're one of the frozen. And we have this division. We compare ourselves and we rank ourselves into different places. Now... I want to reassure you that human nature has always been as it is now. So this challenge that we face now was something that they faced quite early on in the early church. And where I want us to go very quickly is to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. So if you can go there in your Bibles, because I may be peddling around in those areas and going backwards and forwards. Because, I need to just get there quickly, sorry. Because in the early teachings of the early apostles and so forth, this was a natural part of things. When you met Paul, when you met Peter, when you met Silas, when you met Barnabas, the teaching you got was very correct and the practice was what had come directly through the apostles and so forth. But as the church began to age and as church groups began to spring up in different places, as in many areas, teachings began to become a bit wobbly. And so Paul writes a bunch of letters called the epistles to the church to teach them about things that they need to understand. And it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul deals with the issue of people moving in the Holy Spirit in the local church. It becomes necessary to actually have a teaching about it. 
It becomes necessary for people to understand how it operates. It has to be defined. And so, when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, it does begin to explain to us about the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Spirit. This is where the teaching starts taking place, almost in the next generation of the church. Now, I just want to touch today on the role that the gifts play in the church, the attitude that we should have and the discipline we should have around it. I'm not going to get into individual gifts. That's something that's coming later. And I think we're all looking forward to the fact that there's going to be, I think, an encouragement to bring people into ministry, into the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, and into being confident to actually step out in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that's not my brief this morning. I'm setting some foundation and I'm setting some, some background for you. But I want to read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I could stop here for quite a while because this just ties into what I'm saying. Paul is saying, this is something important that you need to know about. Not the optional extra. This is something that you need to know. Then he gives an assurance. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you might be worried when you begin to move into these things that you're going to get some kind of, you're going to expose yourself to some kind of other spiritual influence. The way to know whether you're dealing with the Holy Spirit is acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If it's to the glory and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, be confident that you're moving in the Spirit of God and not in something else. Because some people are a bit weary. We're getting into the supernatural here. Maybe something else is going to come our way. And he's saying, if it's for the Lordship of Jesus Christ and it acknowledges the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you can be confident in the Holy Spirit. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, because in 1 Corinthians 12 it talks about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, it talks about the ministries and services that we operate in as, as, as people in the kingdom, and it talks about um, giftings and, and, and talents and so forth. But he says that there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, listen to this, now to each one, the manifestation, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another one discerning or distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. I want you to come back to the fact that the gifts of the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are given to each by the Holy Spirit as He needs and chooses to do. But the important thing I want you to know at the beginning is it's given for the common good. I have had conversations with people who say, I'm a very humble person. I have no desire to draw attention to myself. I'm deeply grateful that I'm born again, that I have the Spirit of God within me, that I'm going to heaven one day. I don't need to stand out by operating in these gifts or by operating in a particular ministry. I'm too humble for that. 
I'm just an ordinary person. And I want to say to you, God bless you, but you've got the wrong end of the stick. The ministry, the calling, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not given to you to elevate you. They are given to you to serve the needs of the people that you will minister to in those gifts. They are not given for the person operating in the gifts. They are given for the person who is being helped through the gifts. If you operate in the gift of healing by the Holy Spirit, it's for the person who needs healing. It's not a notch on your belt, and you are not being particularly humble and noble if you say, I don't want that. What you're actually saying is, I don't want to be available to pray for those people who need God's supernatural healing. The gifts are given for the ministry and the edification of the body. Coming back to the whole thing, why it's so contentious, the arrogance of, I'm the great healer. That's not it. The power and the glory and the effectivity comes from Almighty God through His Holy Spirit for the benefit of those who are being ministered to. It's not about you. It's not about me. We talk about being vessels. That's exactly what it is. Something that it can flow through. Your tap in the bathroom and in your kitchen does not give you water. That comes from a different source. It's just something that it flows through. And if your tap says to you one morning, I'm too humble to be a good tap. I don't need the expression of water. It's just going to leave you without the water that you desperately need. And we're sitting with a church full of people that God wants to move through to extend the kingdom of God. And to do it effectively, He wants to do it using His power, and He wants to use you. Not because He wants you to think that you're better than anybody else, because He wants you to think that you're a sideshow or someone spectacular, but because He wants to speak to people. He wants to encourage people. He wants to heal people. He wants us to understand and discern spiritual things and be able to do the things that these gifts tell us we are able to do so that the church can be more effective. That's so important. Take your pride out of the picture. Take your ego out of the picture. You know, sometimes our humbleness is a result almost of our arrogance. I'm too good to be proud. And I want to invite you to open yourself to what God wants to do through you for the benefit of others. I want to move on in, in 1 Corinthians 12 because it goes on to say, just as a body, through, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit. There you go. I just want to stop there for a moment. Don't let that slide past. He says, we were all baptized by one Spirit. It doesn't say some of us. It says we were all. It was the expectation. It was the norm. We were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But the fact is God, that God has placed in the body, sorry, placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as He wanted them to be, 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. Now, he goes on in verse 27 to say, Now you are the body of Christ. In the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in the exercising of the power of the Holy Spirit, there are different ways in which it's manifest. All of those need to function together in the body of Christ for the body of Christ to be effective. Let's look at this local community as the body of Christ in this congregation. If we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and other people are going to expound on them individually, but every, if everybody in this congregation prophesied, fantastic. But don't we need people who can move in healing? If everybody in this congregation spoke in tongues, fantastic. But don't we need people who can interpret? The body needs to have its various parts because they're different jobs to do. My hand can't do what my mouth can, quite simply. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, uses people in the body of Christ to do the things that need doing. As we get towards the end of this, it says in verse 31, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. I want to ask you, of those listed in 1 Corinthians 12, what is the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit? You know what? It's the one that you need at that time. It's the one that you need at that time. It's the one that you need to do the job that God needs at that particular time. That's not me, is it? Okay. If you're stuck in a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean and you're praying in great faith for God to move, you need a miracle. Starting to prophesy in your boat in the middle of the sea is not the greatest gift that you need at that time. There's nobody to listen. There's no one to minister to. You need a miracle at that stage. The greatest gift that we should desire is, God, what do you need to do through me to help this person here in front of me who is in need of your presence and of your power to change their lives? That's the greatest gift. What do you need me to do now in these people's lives? Lord, empower me to meet the needs of these people. Lord, empower me to meet the needs of this congregation. Lord, empower me to meet the needs of my nation, my country, in the way that you've called me to do it. And let God flow through us in that way. But I'm going to move quickly because time is, is, is fleeting. I want to very quickly refer to the next chapter because we've got 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you know Corinthians, you know in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about administrating the gifts in the church in an orderly fashion so it's not chaotic in the church. And stuck in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13, which everybody reads at weddings because it's about love. And I guess God got distracted and just wrote a different chapter in the middle about love because he couldn't follow his train of thought. No. 1 Corinthians 13 is very, very pertinent to 1 Corinthians 12, and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because it gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 12, and the closing verse, and remember the Bible wasn't written in chapters, but the, the thing that introduces 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, and yet I will show you the most 
excellent way. He says you need to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need, I don't want you to be ignorant. I need you to know that the church needs these gifts and abilities to operate in the church. I need you to know they come from the Holy Spirit and He gives them as they need it. And they, these are powerful gifts to do the will of God. And then He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And He says this, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other terms, if I have the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, but I have not love, means nothing. He takes them one by one. If I have the gift of prophecy, oh, there we are, and can fathom all mysteries, wisdom, and all knowledge, knowledge, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, he's taking them. And if I have faith for miracles that can move mountains, do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. The love that's being spoken of here is what should be sitting underneath the operation of the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives for them to have any value. Why should I be praying and earnestly desiring the gifts, Paul says? Why should I want them? Only because I need to have God's love for the people who need to be reached by Him. Because I have God's love to touch the brokenhearted, to speak into the lives of those who don't know Jesus or those in the church that are broken and need His word, He need His prophecy. My motivation has to be God's love for those people and therefore I'm doing it from that place. I think in a very simple and, 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 and pictorial way. You know, when I was little, power, a power tool was a drill. You had a drill. Your dad had a power drill. Um, and, and, and you stuck a drill in the front and it drilled holes. And that's all it did. It was a power drill. Then he had another thing that was a power saw and that cut wood. And then he had another thing that might uh, be a power sander. Nowadays we have something that's called a power tool and onto it go. Drills and saws and sanders and routers. You buy a selection of things that you clip onto this power tool and it's the source of power. It's, it's the thing that you clip onto. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The power source is from the Holy Spirit and we exercise it in different ways. Just like with your power tool now, you put the, the attachment on that you need to do the job that you need. And you're a real wally if you arrive to drill a hole and all you've bought is your saw. You need, to, you need to be open to use all the tools to make the thing more effective. The Holy Spirit empowers all of these gifts. What encompasses them all, what they all need to be connected to to work efficiently is the love of God. The motivation of the love of God should be undergirding and be wired to anything. The moment I start wanting to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit because of anything that is selfish or arrogant or prideful, according to 1 Corinthians 13, it's just a noise and an irritation. Can you maybe think now why this has become such a contentious issue in the church? Can you think now maybe why it's become such a divisive thing in the church? Sadly, our human nature, if I can do something and somebody else can't, we become competitive, we become arrogant, become proud, and we become a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Yeah. 
in what we're doing. And bless their hearts, I don't know about you, but I've met quite a few sounding gongs and clanging cymbals. Situations where I've gone, Phew, this is kind of scary, the way these people are going. There's a lot of arrogance going here. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of self-seeking going over here. And it's, it makes you want to back off. You know what it says later on here? It says, love never fails. Just very quickly, I'm sure I've spoken about this before. The love that's being spoken about here is not a romantic love, an erotic love, uh, a sentimental love. It's the love of God. It's the word agape, which says, I don't care how I feel. I don't care whether you deserve it. I don't care whether you've asked for it. And I don't care whether you thank me for it. I'm going to do what you need because God loves you. And it's that motivation and that power source and that, that base from which we need to operate if we're going into the things of the Holy Spirit. If that's our motivation, it should be a way of life for us. And I think for the sake of time and also for, for the sake of stopping the point, that's where I'm going to stop this morning. Because coming down the road, as, as we go forward with this, people will be talking about the individual gifts and there will be opportunities for people to be prayed for who want to begin to operate in these gifts. But I want to leave you with an understanding. Don't be afraid. Don't be skeptical. Well, you can be skeptical if you want to, but I would say to you, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and if you believe the Bible, then understand this. This is described and defined and in, encouraged and insisted upon almost in the Bible as a natural part of our life as Christians. As something that you can be involved in for the blessing and benefit of others. And don't let misinformation or a bad experience or misplaced humility say to you, this is not for me. Because it's not really about you. It's about the people that God wants to touch through your life and that God wants you to be able to touch through His power, through His personality, through His instruction and leading to change their lives. And that's where we want to be heading. Just think. God in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. This congregation here, all of us released into this world with the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives. You see it happening in the early church. Peter and John going to church one morning to go and pray, and they pass a guy at the side of the road, and he's been crippled since the beginning of his life, and he's always been sitting there, and he stops and says, have you guys got a pound for me? And Peter says to him, I don't have a pound, mate, but get up and walk. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. What he needed at that time was somebody that God could use by the power of the Holy Spirit to meet him at his point of greatest need, and that's what happened. Don't you want to be that person? Whatever the person's need is that you're going into, don't you want to be someone who says, I may not have anything in myself, but what I do have is the power of the Holy Spirit living within me and the love of God motivating me, and I will share that with you so that God will meet your need at this point of time. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning, that you will challenge us as to what you want each of us to do in response to your word. I pray, Lord, for the gentle comforting, but also the empowering and the challenging of your Holy Spirit in our lives as we go into this week, Lord. 
And I pray, Lord, as we go further on in this series, that you will lead us as a congregation into a place where we flow comfortably and with great joy in the things of your Holy Spirit. Amen.